Cahill Summers. And I'm Deirdre Lane. Your Chagas Sustainability Advisors. And you're welcome to the Chagas Environment Edge podcast number 29, bringing you the latest information, science and opinion to improve farm sustainability. Ireland is under ever-increasing pressure to reduce nitrogen fertilizer use, reduce greenhouse gas emissions and increase nitrogen use efficiency. So we have Mike Egan, Chagask Grassland Research Officer in Moor Park here for a chat today. Mike has been involved in a series of 12 clover farm walks taking place across the country in April to highlight the beneficial role the white clover is playing on grassland farms. Mike, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks, Deirdre. Our Chagas research programme to date has delivered very promising results on clover. Can you tell us a little bit about the findings and why farmers should consider this as an option? Yeah, I suppose. Thanks very much for having me on, first of all. Um, yeah, so look, I suppose the, the Clover Research Programme in Moor Park or in Chagas has been going on with a, a long number of years, but I suppose there has been renewed interest since maybe 2012 or 2013 when the kind of the second tranche of the real research programme that's currently um, been going on kind of started in, in Moor Park and in, in Clonakilty then in 2013 and Solihead again in, in more recent years has got back into Clover-focused research. And I suppose the main benefit that has been focused on initially when we started up was looking at can white clover persist and add value in intensively farmed grass-based systems with a, with a heavy focus on, on dairy production systems. And what we showed originally initially was we can maintain herbage production while reducing fertilizer. We can increase herbage production while um, while in, while maintaining similar levels of nitrogen fertilizer application being applied. And what really got farmers' attention in initial years was the increased level of milk production that we were, we were achieving of up to 30 kilos of milk solids plus per cow per year. Um, and that's really what kind of started a, a large focus on, on clover research work in, across all facets of Chagas in, in the last number of years. But more recently then with environmental pressures coming on, it, it's more the, the role that clover can add now with reducing um, environmental impact by reducing chemical fertilizer inputs. Um, so we have shown by even reducing up to 100 and 125 kilos of nitrogen per hectare, we're still maintaining output in terms of grass growth, increasing milk solids, um, while having a financial benefit and also an environmental benefit in reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So there's kind of three different approaches. There's kind of the cow benefit, there's the grass benefit, and I suppose the, the big thing at the moment is the environmental benefit that clover can add, and particularly financially with increasing price of fertilizers and input costs, in, 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 particularly in 2022. Yeah, I think, Mike, it's a no-brainer at this stage for farmers, especially moderate to heavy stock farmers. There is savings to be made there, particularly with, with nitrogen at the moment, price at the minute. So I suppose, what what is the most important, I suppose, uh, factors to establish Clover, I suppose, getting ready for it? What, what are the basics to getting it right? Yeah, I suppose the last two years has been a huge shift towards kind of a, a renewed focus on Clover and commercial farms because of the research as that has gone on. Um, and surprisingly, there's, there's very low levels of Clover on farm historically, uh, on, particularly on Irish dairy farms. And that is changing now, but there, historically there has been a very low, despite a high level of Clover being included in grass seed mixes across the country. And the reason it has established, hasn't established, um, probably down to two main reasons, or three things, uh, soil fertility being one, um, incorrect herbicides being used and incorrect timings of herbicides being used on those new reseeds particularly, um, and then grazing management of those reseeds thereafter. So they're probably the three main reasons that we haven't seen a huge level of clover on farm. There's still some concern of having clover with issues in spring grazing and 
and bloat. Um, although it'd be a lot smaller now with the issues now than they were historically, but I suppose grazing management and the soil fertility is probably the two of the key reasons that we haven't seen it. And for anyone that's thinking about oversun clover, and we've discussed it in detail on each of the walks that we've held over the last two weeks, is that soil fertility is key. And if we haven't got optimal P's and K's for aside from clover, but even for grass and management in, in general, if we haven't got correct P's and K's um, for nitrogen efficiency and increasing grass growth, it's it very, very difficult. Um, so that's the first thing. So we need, we're talking minimum of index three and ideally index four for P's and K's. P is essential in, in root and, and root nodule development. K is essential for stolon development. And then the correct pH as well, soil pH. We're talking ideally a 6.5 of a soil pH for clover. And that's important for, for nodulation and rhizobia bacteria, which is the, the crux of where we get the nitrogen from. If we haven't got the rhizobia or the nodulation on, on the clover stolons, we're not going to get the significant level of, of nitrification that we require. So I think soil fertility is probably the key element that has, re, has resulted in low levels of clover being on farm or anyone that wants to go about now, including clover and putting a plan in place, it's correct soil fertility first. Um, because it won't persist or establish or persist without it. And then it's down to grazing management in terms of maintaining and establish and main helping it establish and maintaining it in those sports long-term too. So those are probably the two key elements to get right, first of all. Just wondering about soil types, maybe free-drain soils versus more heavier soils. Is, is there any issues around clover with that? And I suppose another thing, a lot of farmers like to reseed in the back end of the year. Should, is that okay for clover or is it better to go springtime? Yeah, so just on, on the soil, soil type um, issue, look at a lot of the work that we've done in recent years has been in Moorpark and Clonakelty, which is a very free draining soil. Um, and clover is very suited to that because it's warmer. It doesn't, it doesn't flood, it's not to flow into flooding and that. So it's very well suited to soils like that. And we know that from the research that we've done. That's not to say that it doesn't work in more heavier soil types. And Valley Hayes has now started a new research program looking at clover um, in, in a more challenging and, and, and soil type. And it's working there after two years. Solihead in the 90s had, had a huge number of years of data with, with white clover included in the swords and now has started another research program with clover included in the swords as well. That's not to say it's just as easy on a heavier soil than it is in a free draining soil. It's probably more challenging because of issues with increasing soil fertility on heavier soils than more free draining soil types, particularly on pea. Um, and the second thing, because of pugging and poaching damage that can happen, particularly in the shoulders of the year on heavier soil types, that can damage the clover plant um, and cause issues with it. And I suppose one thing that's probably not talked about a, a huge amount on heavier soil types, it can be difficult to graze late and graze early on those swards on a wet back end or a wet spring as well, which can result in heavy covers being carried on those swards. And that doesn't really suit clover per se either. So not to say that it won't work. It's probably a little bit more challenging on heavier soil types. Um, and with Solihead and, and Valley Hayes, there's data coming in on that now. And even on the on-farm study that we have with 35 farms across the country, we have more heavier soils. But it may be a case of picking your best paddocks on, on your heavier on a heavier farm type and focus on those first of all, and then see try and incorporate some of the more marginal type. Because every even a heavy farm still has good ground. Or, or sorry, not good ground, but um ha, has not as marginal ground on, on all of the farms. So I think picking the best paddocks and picking the farm probably is, is a key thing. In terms of reseeding timing, yeah, look at pushing into autumn reseeds a little more risky per se, with even with grass, but particularly with clover, because again, around the issues of not being able to go in and graze late enough if you get a wet back end, particularly on a reseeded soil, um, and temperatures well dropping off and daylight temperatures. So you will get a more successful uh, establishment in a reseed in a spring 
springtime compared to autumn time because you have adequate soil moisture as, as you're coming in. You have adequate day length. There's no issue in terms of being able to, to graze it because you have good so better soil conditions um, and more optimal timing to get a herbicide being applied on, or clover-safe herbicide being applied to, to control weeds that can have a little bit more risk in the autumn. So I would say anything being planted after the middle of August is probably a, early August is probably a little bit risky, particularly with clover included in the seed mix. In respect to soil fertility, uh, Mike, would it be fair to say that only 15% of dairy farms are capable of properly establishing um, clover? Yeah, so that's probably a figure that if you look at optimal soil fertility across the entire farms um, and having 90% of the farm in optimal soil PK and pH, there's, there's a, only 15% of farms that meet that criteria. So if you're to look at the bigger picture, yes, across the whole farm, that 15% is probably right. However, like a lot of farms, we were on a farm yesterday that had only 39% optimum, or last week, sorry, that had only 39% optimum soil fertility, but he still had clover on over 50% of his farm. So he has targeted his clover going in on his better soil fertility paddocks. So Although you mightn't be optimal on every paddock, some of your paddocks are correct. And targeting the better soil fertility paddocks first to get your clover established on and increasing soil fertility on the remaining paddocks. Because it, we're going to be very difficult as an industry if you wait till every part of our farm is optimal for PK and lime before we go and establish clover. Pick the best paddocks first of all, and then try and, and increase the soil fertility on the remaining part of the farm as we go on. So 15% probably right, but as an overall, there's areas within each farm that can be targeted. Brilliant. And where would a farmer um, get information on recommended varieties to sow? Um, which clover seed side or um, leaf side is best recommended, say, for grazing or for silage ground? Yeah, so look, at on, on the Chagas website, there's, there's information there on, on leaf size that you can get. But I suppose the best place to get information is the recommended list, first of all, uh, and, and the cultivars on grassy cultivars and clover cultivars should be recommended list cultivars that we are sowing on our farm. Um, so that's the first in terms of getting information. In terms of leaf size, clover comes in three different leaf sizes, large, medium and small. Uh, in terms of uh, dairy cattle and beef cattle grazing systems, we should be focusing more on medium leaf cultivars. Um, and then for more intensive, or sorry, more uh, sheep grazing systems, we should be looking at small leaf cultivars for, for sheep grazing systems. Um, Large leaf cultivars are very aggressive growth habit and, and don't have as much of a stone on production and they're more suited to a silage based system than they are for a grazing based system. There's something similar to red clover. So I'd say medium for your ruminant grazing systems or your large cattle grazing systems, dairy and beef, and small then for your sheep grazing systems. Mike, can you tell us the difference between red and white clover? Because I think this goes over people's head a little bit on, on how, when the nitrogen becomes available. Yeah, so they're both legumes and they both fix nitrogen. Red clover typically would fix a higher proportion of um, of nitrogen per year than white clover would. Um, exact figures can range vary from year to year and, and from products. I'm not going to quote exact figures because they, they do range, but typically red clover will fix more nitrogen. Um, in terms of the actual plants itself, so white clover grows what's is dependent on a growth structure of what's called a stolon. Um, and that stolon will grow along the ground and can vary from... Uh, 15 to 20 centimetres long to up to a metre long. Now, that's in ideal circumstances. And along that stolon, that grows on or just below the ground. It has the pithial and the leaf above ground, and that's what we see, and that's what the animals graze. And then we have the root structure and root nodules below the ground, and that's where the nitrogen is fixed and stored, or fixed, uh, converted, fixed, and released into the soil from those nutri nodules below the ground. Red clover is a slightly different plant. It is an individual plant, more like a, an, a, a ryegrass plant. It has one 
central taproot um, that the root nodules are on, and then it has above ground um, surface as well. It doesn't spread out um, the same way white clover does. So they're generally on individual plants or clusters of plants centered around one individual plant. The growing point of red clover is above the ground, where the growing point of white clover is on or below the ground. So that's why white clover is more inducive to intensive grazing because the growing point is quite low. Red clover, because the growing point is quite high, if you try and graze white clover spores intensively and tightly, you will remove the growing point and, and kill it off. Um, so red clover is more suited to silage cutting systems because the growing point is above the ground and white clover is more suited to grazing systems. In terms of nitrogen fixation, they will both start to fix uh, nitrogen within their first year. Um, the issue is white clover, it goes through a, a few distinct phases of, of um, from seedling to, to a, a, an established sward. So the first stage is the, is the rosette phase, and it has to develop a small taproot, um, central taproot, and then to start to develop the above ground surface. And that takes anywhere between two and three months. And after that two or three months, that's when it then starts to develop stolons, which the root nodules then develop off those stolons. So the stolons aren't developed on the, on the white clover plant until the taproot has been produced and then it'll start to fix nitrogen three months post sowing um, there or thereabouts but it generally doesn't release that nitrogen into the soil for between six and eight months post sowing so there's a little bit of a it starts fixing nitrogen and uses it for itself but it doesn't release it into the soil for the companion species and that's where the kind of the confusion comes from in white clover whereas in red clover because it doesn't need to produce stolons the nitrogen is fixed uh, the, the root nodules are developed straight away on the taproot as it's developed and then starts fixing nitrogen and can release it and, and use it for itself as well. So there's probably about a four month difference in terms of nitrogen being available to the plants from red clover to white clover, red clover being sooner than white clover. I'm just wondering about, I suppose, the best method of sowing. I know we, we were with On The Walk, which there a little while ago as well, and you give a couple of um, mentions of different ways of sowing. What's the best, best options for farmers? Yeah, so in a reseed, I think reseeding practices for clover or non-clover spores are the same. Uh, obviously, we're including clover in the seed mix at about a kilo and a half per acre um, and just not burying the seed too deep because it's a very small, shallow seed. And if it's buried too deep, it doesn't have the energy to push up through the soil. So I think reseeding our principles are the same. Um, good soil seed preparation and ensuring soil seed contact and then your grazing management afterwards. Um, in terms of over sowing, there's different methods that you can use. You can broadcast it onto the soil. You can use different types of machines. All have their pros, all have their cons. Um, I think the most common question I get asked with clover establishment on over sowing is the type of machine to use. And as long as they're all done right, it's okay. But there, it's probably the least important factor in terms of establishing a grass clover sport. But that's not to say you, you, you need to do it right all the same. So in terms of your broadcasting in a fertilizer spreader or your slope pellet applicator, don't do it on a very windy day. Do small areas of your farm of, of a paddock at a time, no more than two acres because the seed will all fall to the bottom and mix it with an 0730 or a Grand Line product to allow for ease of spreading. And don't do it on a windy day because the seed won't travel that far and make sure that the, the spreader that you're using isn't throwing at 24 meter tram lines or 12 meter tram lines because the seed won't travel that far. So shorter distances and probably do it in two directions. In terms of your machines, then you have a... A tine harrow type machine like a nine buck or a rate man scratches the ground and then broadcasts the seed on top of it and then more tine harrows come behind it. Does very little disturbance to the soil, but can guarantee more soil seed contact because it has the tine harrows coming behind it. Then you have your kind of a gutler type machine. These are commercial names, but there's different types of machines of them. Uh, so your gutler type machine, um, it has a, a hard tine harrow in the front of it, can do a little bit more ripping than the Einbach. It's a heavier machine too, so you do need a bigger machine to, or tractor to run it, but it can do a little bit of more destruction to the ground 
um, that you're driving over if you haven't got the setting right. But the advantage of that is it has a Cambridge or a fur press roller behind it that is going to push that seed down into the soil. And then you have your kind of your Moore drill, Atkinson drill um, kind of machine that cuts the slit and drops the seed into the ground again. Again, you're guaranteed soil seed contact, but the issue with that one is getting uh, not burying the seed too deep. So you shouldn't really be going below 12 mil of a sowing depth because that seed won't be able to push up through the ground. But again, as long as they're all done right, the method is probably the least important element. It's picking your right paddocks and the management afterwards that's more important. So management is key once you've sown and established. How can farmers ensure long-term persistency or persistence on farms? So I think just to go back a little bit, but I think just there's three steps to do it. So one is picking the right paddocks and that is down to your soil fertility. There's no point putting clover into a poor soil fertility paddock. Um, swords that are high ryegrass content and don't have weeds. And if you don't have those, that kind of criteria or kind of dense swords, sort that first before you go over sowing clover. But if you have paddocks that meet that four criteria, fantastic. Second one then is the method that goes out with it, as long as they're all done effectively and you're guaranteeing soil seed contact. That's the most important element with any machine that you're using. And as long as you get those two right, then it's completely down to management. But if you get those two right and don't manage it right afterwards, it's still not going to matter. It, it won't work. So clover needs, when it's establishing in a full reseed or an oversowing, in a full reseed, the clover and the grass plant both need light to the base of the sward. And in an oversowing, that clover seedling needs light down to the base of the sward. And all we can do with that is manage it in terms of your grazing management. So we're keeping low pre-grazing covers on it for the first three to four rotations. So our first grazing should be at 800 on a reseed or an oversowing and the following three grazings then of between 1,000 and 1,100 kilos. And what this does is it just keeps light down to the base of the sward and that seedling the clover and the grass plant, whatever in reseed or oversowing, will just develop its root structure rather than having to grow big, tall leaves up in the sward to try and go looking for light. And then it doesn't develop anything below ground. So keeping low covers um, the following three months post-sowing, not avoiding, avoiding any heavy cuts of silage for about 12 months post-sowing, keeping low covers on it over the winter. So grazing it later on in the final rotation and as much as possible graze it as as, as within reason, without damaging it, graze it as early as possible in spring as well. Again, it's all about getting light down to that sward. The, the clover plant takes about eight to 12 months to fully establish. Um, and during that time, you need to preferentially manage it. And the most important thing, apart from your soil fertility and moisture, and that's your timing and picking the right paddocks, is um, your grazing management that lets light down to the base of the sward. Now, the million-dollar question, I suppose, you have farmers at home listening now wondering, Right, I have clover in the sward. Not really sure how much is in it or what the distribution is like, but how did it know when to cut back on the chemical nitrogen? Is there a is it a date or a time or a this podcast now is at a very good time um because now is the time we can make a decision on paddocks if they have good clover content or not good clover content. And I I don't think we should get caught up like every time I do a group, is this 12% or is it 15% or is it 30%? I think we're getting caught up too much in figures. We need paddocks that are we want to be able to reduce fertilizer on our swords when they have good clover. And we need paddocks in May at 20% to be able to reduce our clover, our nitrogen fertilizer application rate significantly um, by half. Um, so if we want to target getting this 150 kilos of nitrogen per hectare, we want to reduce it from May onwards. So the, the key trigger is, so that over the next couple of weeks, when, we're walk, when you're walking your farms, looking at paddocks and seeing, is there clover in them? And if there is, fantastic. If it's a very low level, we're probably not in a situation we're going to reduce fertilizer on it. Or if you think that there's, there's a, there's a scorecard on the Chagas website that will show a, a range of, um, and maybe you can put it up in a link with this podcast as well, but there is a range of um, 
pictures of sword clover contents. So I think when you're looking at your swords from the middle of April to the middle of May, you want them sitting somewhere between 15 and 25%. And if you have paddocks that are within that range of 15 to 25% in that time frame, you can start to reduce chemical fertilizer on those from May onwards. If you have swords that are somewhere between 10 and 15%, and again, you'll see it somewhere in, in that guide, um, the clover content guide. If you have paddocks that are between 10 and 15%, you're probably not going to reduce fertilizer on them in early May, but that clover content, if you graze it tight and keep low covers on it, will increase and you might get to reduce your fertilizer on it in June. Um, and it's not that the, the level of clover is determined when we want to reduce our fertilizer. And the, the key trigger is that kind of 20% range when we start to reduce fertilizer. But it's not that the clover, if there's less clover there, it's going to fix less nitrogen. The issue is that there's less plants there fixing nitrogen. And each individual plant will still fix within reason similar amounts to nitrogen. It's just if you have a low level of plants in your sward or a low clover content, there's just not enough nitrogen being fixed from all of the plants. So when we have 20%, we now have nitrogen coming from a fifth of our sward. And that's when we want to get that clover content reduced. So 20% is the sweet spot. And I'd say end of April, early May is when you make that call. And if you look at the guide that's on the website, you'll see what sward looking at 15 to 20% look like. How would you reduce the the risk of bloat on farms? Yeah, so look, bloat can be an issue with clover. Um, you, you talk to farmers and they've got bloat without having clover in the sward. So there, there's, there's different risks of, of having bloat. Clover just happens to be one of those risks that can cause it. I would say there's probably three, three diff or four different points that you need to keep an eye on in terms of when bloat can occur with having clover in your sport one is very high levels of clover content i would say anything above 40 45 percent is a high level of clover now we want to get close on that but when you go above that 45 percent, that's when you can run into is issues uh, excessively hungry animals coming into a high clover content sort um a morning like a kind of a damp dully drizzly morning and low dry matter grass they're the last two things that can cause bloat so you can get one or all four of those um that can occur and it's just been aware of those four key triggers so high clover contents very hungry animals damp drizzly morning and low dry matter grass then as well they're probably the key risks that you need to just keep an eye on and, and if you think you have one or all of those you can put in bloat oil in the water but typically when you want the bloat oil it's when the damp drizzly low dry matter mornings they're not going to drink a whole lot of water and they'll go grazing the grass before they go or the sward before they go drinking the water so if you're going down the bloat oil route you'd want to have it in the water trough the day before so they have bloat oil in the system um, but what we've done at the on-farm study and even in Moorpack and Tonakiltree is recent years is putting up a strip wire so when you're going to get bloat if you are going to get it in one of those four criterias um, you're going to get within the first kind of three to four hours of um, of going into the paddock or into the first break on, on a new paddock. So by putting up a small strip wire for two or three hours, you're just removing that initial gorging process of clover in the sward. So like, although there might be 40% clover in the swards, animals actually can go and actively select 70 or 80% of their diet being clover because they'll go and select the clover plants out of it. And by putting up that small strip wire, they'll graze the 40% clover, but they have to graze the 60% grass as well. And it just it removes that initial gorging process on the clover. And then when you took up the wire, then it's fine. So it's just being aware of, of what can cause it. It's not as much of an issue. Look, we know a lot more about it now than we did in, in when we started first in Warburg and Tranquility, but it's just being aware of those four different risk issues and then putting a plan in place then, whether it be bloat oil the day before or putting up a strip wire, which is typically if we're going into a paddock, it's the morning of it that we realize is an issue rather than the day before. So the strip wire works very well in that scenario then. 
I think that's a, a great piece of advice to finish on. We, we don't want to get the cows to eat all the dessert before they eat the main course. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, uh, look, really great talking to you. No doubt Clover seems to be way forward. Farmers are really enjoyed to chat today. Thanks a million for joining us. No trouble. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, Deirdre. That's it for this episode of the Chagask Environment Edge podcast. Thanks to Mike Egan, Chagask Grassland Research Officer in Moorpark for joining us on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen to Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Cahill Summers. And I'm Deirdre Lynn. Join us next time for the Chagas Environment Edge podcast, signpost to farm sustainability.